The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Well, if you have a Bible, let's open it to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7. And this morning, we are finishing uh, the Sermon on the Mount, this morning. It started in chapter 5. And then chapter 6, chapter 7, and by the way, this is the only, uh, we believe, complete sermon that, that we have recorded and written of Jesus. And it happens to be in the Gospel of Matthew, which we're going through. And we believe that wherever Jesus would go during his three, three and a half years of ministry, this was his message. Uh, it was about the kingdom, and it, and it was about what it means to be a member of the kingdom and in the kingdom and how to live in the kingdom uh, and to be a follower of his and to be a disciple of the Messiah, the king of the kingdom of God. And so we're kind of, now he's coming to the dramatic close, the finish, the exhortation. So the title of the message is The Narrow Way, okay? That's that's where Jesus ends. You know, you, you lay a foundation, you bring various teachings and encouragements and exhortations through the message, and then when you land the plane, so to speak, that's where you're making your big and final point. So this is a very, very important message for us to hear from the Lord. Let's bow our heads and pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we pray and ask that Lord, we would hear. Give us, as Lord, you said, may you have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. And Father, I believe that this is a message. Uh, it's not just information. It's not just doctrine. It's not just teaching, uh, information, Bible study. It is a word from the throne of Almighty God. It is a word for now. It is a word filled with the life and power and presence of the Spirit of God. It is a word appropriate for each one. Now, Lord, I don't know exactly what uh, verse it will be uh, or, or what teaching and emphasis that shall be laid out in these next few moments, but I know that it, it's for all of us. So may we have ears to hear uh, that which you would kind of highlight, you would underline, you would embolden, you would add the exclamation point, you would whisper into our ear, hey, son, that ex that's for you for right here, right now. Oh, my daughter, this one is for you. Take it, grab it, devour it, digest it, internalize it, and be blessed by the word of the Lord. So we ask these things. Thank you, Father, that you have heard our prayer and will answer it. And it's in Jesus' mighty, wonderful name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Okay, so um, I have an extra, you know, life lesson. So I'm going to try to go through them quickly. But I, I think it's important to begin kind of where we left off last week, uh, which was verse 12. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. Jesus says, therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. He said, in other words, this is everything. If you hear this, if you get this, you've got the heart and soul 
of all that God revealed through the law and through the prophets. Um, Do unto others what you would have them do unto you. Now, he, he begins, verse 12, with therefore. Well, therefore always takes you back. Well, what did he just say? Because now he's drawing this very important conclusion. Well, the therefore goes back to the very first verse of chapter 7, where Jesus started by saying this, judge not that you be not judged, but with what judgment you judge, you yourself will be judged. And with the measure you used against others, it will be measured back to you. So that's where Jesus had begun this final section is don't judge. And in that sense, what he meant is don't play God. You are not God. You are not the judge of of any situation. Uh, You are are not the one that, that holds ultimate judgment. We have to be careful as human beings because we never know the whole story. We never know all the facts. How many times... Have you seen a situation it's with a friend or someone you know, or your love, you care about, and then you hear something, you go, oh, man, oh, that's, that's bad, oh, that's really... And then, and you make a judgment about them, you make a judgment about the situation, then down the road, sometimes months, years later, you find out information you didn't know, you didn't have access to. Uh, and then once you receive the new information, you go, oh, my goodness, I blew it. I made a wrong judgment. Uh, that If I had known then what I know now, I would feel completely different about it. So how many of you are glad that no other human being can be your judge? Only God is worthy of being our judge. Now, having said that, we also said this is the most misapplied verse one of the most misapplied verses of the New Testament, because you don't judge me, man. You know, it's like I can do whatever I want. And there's a... So Jesus is saying we're not, we're not the judge as in God to condemn, but we do have to make judgments every day of our lives. Is this good? Is it not good? Is this uh, healthy? Is it not healthy? Uh, is, is this the way of the Lord, or is it actually a temptation uh, or a deception from the enemy? So w- the word would be discernment. We make judgments, discerning things all the time, and that's very, very important. Uh, I love how Jesus then puts the phrase, judge not, into the positive, because he says, do unto others what you would have them do to you. Now, when I was growing up and when I was in high school, you know, there was uh, the, the saying that we would use, because this idea that Jesus shares at this point, it was, in a sense, not a new concept. Other leaders, spiritual leaders, whatever, had come up with a kind of a concept. But what I want to point out that is new about what Jesus shared is Jesus put it into the positive. Do unto others what you want them to do. To you. That day and night changed everything. There were people like Confucius uh, that said, if, if you don't want people to hate you, then don't hate them. If you don't want people to steal from you, then don't steal from them. But it was kind of in the negative. It was kind of like just, you know, protecting yourself in isolation as you go through life. Jesus takes it from a negative, defensive, maybe even fearful deal, and he turns it around positive, and he says, do unto others. Demonstrate 
in other words, if you're following Confucius, I don't want you know, people to hate me, so I won't hate them. If I follow Jesus, he says, love them. Go start loving them. Whoever they are, wherever they are, you love them as a human being because I love them. Uh, so instead of following Confucius and saying, oh, I don't want to you know, be stolen from, so I won't steal from you. If I follow Jesus, he says, give. Give to someone who is needy. Give to someone who could use some help, uh, whether it's food or clothing or a visit in prison, or if it's an orphan or widow, do unto them. So he turns it completely around. He puts it in the positive that we're to invest in others. So I want to encourage you this morning, because there's many of you that maybe you're needy this morning, and you're saying, man, I sure need some encouragement. Well, then I have a word for you. Go find someone else who needs encouragement and do to them what you wish someone would do to you. Because Jesus said, the measure you give is what will then come back to you. Uh, If you need uh, some, you know, you need somebody to notice you because you feel like I'm going through, I'm getting pummeled, and nobody seems to care or notice, and you're just going down the tubes, then go find someone else that you you realize nobody sees them. They're in trouble, and I'm going to visit them, or I'm going to call them, or I'm going to talk to them, or I'm going to bless them, or I'm going to notice them and love them and give to them some attention right now, because that's what you need. And Jesus said, that's the way to live. Do unto others what you want them to do to you. Does that make sense? All right, let's go on to the next uh, phrase here, in verses 13 and 14. Ooh, this is, this is a deep one. This is a powerful one. The path that leads to salvation is narrow and difficult. Now, this is not the opinion of some biblical, you know, scholar, theologians, or pastors, or whatever. This is Jesus' description of the path to salvation. Beginning in verse 13, he says, Now enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. And he's referring to an eternal life. And there are few uh, who actually find it. So this is, this is very, very important. Uh, Jesus says it's narrow. The way to eternity is so narrow uh, that it can only be passed. The gate to the kingdom of heaven, the gate through which you come into salvation, the gate into eternal life with God is so narrow, it can only come in one person at a time. And the gate is literally not just a gate, it's a person. And the the door is Jesus. He said, no man comes into the Father unless he comes through me. Now, here's an interesting thing, too, because I remember back in the day, you know, when you talk to other people and religious things and, and you get into a conversation with them and, and some will say, well, man, you know, I, I just think, you know, religion, dude, is like, you know, the spokes on a wheel, you know, there's 360 degrees, 360 different kind of ways, but they all end up at the same hub, God. 
Have you ever heard somebody articulate one way or another that? Okay, so what is your response? Well, my response, based on what Jesus just said, narrow is the gate, difficult is the way, few there are that go to it, is that sounds really good? It it seems kind of fair, uh, kind of nice, uh, you know, makes you feel warm inside about it. There's only one problem with it. It's not true. It's a lie. There is not 360 different ways to eternal life. Because Jesus, of what he said about himself, he claimed that I and my Father are one, and no man comes to the Father except through me. Every other God, small g, was made by God. And there are other gods with small g, but they are other, they're, they're other spiritual beings that are fallen, part of the whole realm of the angelic world, but that's another story. But what's interesting is, uh, with the Lord, he says that uh, if you start with that broad path, in fact, I'm going to show you a picture of, I, I, I just got a picture of, this doesn't say, I don't know where this was, I don't know what they were all <laughs> gathered for. You can't even see where they're going or, you know, there's no gate or no place where they're headed. That's just a lot of people. And that's some people's view of, you know, God, religion, and whatever the spiritual realm is. It's just mass people going who knows where. Someone once said, if you really don't know what your ultimate destination is, any road will take you there. So that's kind of all these people. They're going in as many different directions as there are people. But here's what Jesus said. Here's a visual picture of how he said in eternity it really works. One way, one life, one truth. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I personally am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father unless he comes through me. It's a single door. The door there is not just an opening or portal. It's a person. It's Christ, Messiah, God that left heaven, the Son, that he became incarnated into humanity, the incorruptible seed. He was born into the human world, and then he demonstrated the life of perfection He mirrored the glory of the Father. He demonstrated his power, his authority, his ability to create out of nothing, uh, to raise the dead, to deliver from the demonic and supernatural realm. And then he himself took our place, died on the cross for humanity's sins. Then, because death couldn't hold him on the third day, he broke its chains and broke death's back and resurrected on the third day, was appeared unto the disciples, and then more than 500 one time for 40 days, and then he ascended up into heaven and is seated at the right hand. And guess what? He's at the right hand of God the Father. And God the Father has said, Son, because you left and you went down and you loved them and you showed them and you demonstrated the way, the truth, and the life, you get to be on that final day when everyone individually will stand before the Lord on what's called the judgment day. You, the Son, will be the judge. We will be judged by a human. We'll be judged by God that became a man. That's what Christmas was all about, the incarnation. Great is the mystery of godliness that God became a man and that God robed himself in human flesh. So we'll stand before him one day. And so it's kind of like this. From from what Jesus said... um, 
what happens is you can start with your 360 degree, you know, spoke wheel deal, and it's as broad as you want it to be. But Jesus said the broad road leads to one single, solitary, narrow door, and what's written on that door is destruction. No matter where you start, anywhere on that path, it can be as broad as you possibly want, but it all leads to one tiny little narrow door called destruction and separation from God for eternity. Now, on the other hand, when you come to Jesus and he made it, it's the same for everybody, every nation, every language, every kindred, every tongue, every tribe, it kind of makes sense that there's only one way to get to heaven. How did 7 billion people today, 7 billion, from every background, every color, every, you know, all the languages, all the nations, everything, so much variety. Let's take the whole human kit and caboodle of humanity and diversity. How did all 7 billion of them get to experience life on planet Earth? One way. The only way you can experience life on earth as a human being is to be born into it. Jesus said, aha, there's another realm. It's the spiritual realm. It's the eternal realm. And for everybody, there's one way you get in. You got to be born again, born anew, born into it. And once you're born into it, now you're a son or daughter. And by the way, the salvation that is given is a gift you don't earn it. You don't deserve it. So it's free and it's available for all, all whosoever will may come. Can I hear a glorious hallelujah, amen? It's good. Now, having said all of that, though, read with me James chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. James is writing and he says, once you're saved, once you're born again, once you've gone through the narrow gate of salvation, now get rid of all filth, get rid of all sin, get rid of all the darkness. Don't be deceived by a way of life that lets you keep doing and living however you want, and then, oh yeah, I get an eternal reward based on my own values or my own views. So when we're saved, your spirit is saved immediately, instantly, 100%. Our spirit is made one with the Holy Spirit, and we get saved instantly in the spirit. But our soul is being saved. So we receive the gift of salvation. I'm a son of God. I'm going to heaven. But now my soul, which is your mind, your intellect, uh, your will, your emotions, that is a process we're being saved. And that process of becoming more holy and more like Jesus and driving more darkness out of our lives, the biblical word for it is called sanctifying. And through the word of God and through submitting to the truth of God and then by giving my will to obey and actually do what the word tells me how a child of God lives, denying my flesh, denying worldliness, denying evil spirits and the doctrines of demons and, and choosing to obey him and to walk with him and be obedient to him, my heart comes alive while I participate with driving out the darkness. 
So sanctifying is a process that will happen for the rest of our lives, right? Um, Billy Graham is uh, not yet in heaven. He's 99 years old, and he's still saying, Lord, forgive me, and repenting, and seeking the Lord, and wanting, man, if Billy Graham's doing that, where does that leave you and me? We need to be sanctified. How many would agree you're not perfect yet? Okay, so we have work to do. Um, The darkness within us resists yielding to the truths of God's Word. It fights. That's why we must approach God's Word with humility, because God's always right, and our carnality is always wrong. So I want you to read with me what Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 2 and 3. Let's read this out loud. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be toward some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. And then let's read verses 4 and 5 as he goes on. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Let me just put it to you. Being sanctified is hard work. Can I hear an amen on that? It's not easy. And it's a battle. It is literally a war that is inside of every believer. And it is the most important conflict you and I will ever engage in. The battle on the inside, the war inside, because my flesh does not want to be sanctified. My flesh wants to be lazy and selfish and proud and lustful and arrogant and independent. And if you go by your flesh... And what it's demanding and telling you, you'll be lost, Jesus said. So there's a battle. I have to lay that on the altar. I have to deny my flesh and yield to the Word of God and to the truth and who I am, my identity in Christ Jesus. And that is a struggle. That is a battle. It is described in no less terms than warfare. No Christian is oblivious or, or outside of that. It's how long is it you're, from the time you're born to the time either you die or you go up and be with the Lord. Now, what happens is the enemy knows that, and, and so he tries to wear you down to get you to stop fighting, stop warring, stop growing, stop yielding to the Spirit, give up, give in. And then he starts pounding you, First, he he tries to talk you out of yielding and being obedient, and then once he talks you into that, he makes you feel guilty for what he just tempted you to do. That's how the devil works. And what he wants you to do is he wants you to get so tired, I'm tired of fighting, and I don't want this warfare, and I'm just going to give up, and that's what he wants. Throw up the little white flag and start curling up into a little ball, and then he just pounds you and pounds you and pounds you, and more and more anxiety and fear and darkness and all the rest. And there may be some of you that, that feel like that. That's those who give up the fight, give up the battle. It's called, in the Old Testament, backsliding. 
Because the moment they stop taking steps of faith, walking forward to the promised land that God had given them and believing in him, trusting in him, following his angels that would fight for them and bring them into a land flowing with milk and honey, the moment they stopped or the moment they turned around or went back to their idols, they started getting pummeled and beaten and discouraged and fearful and anxious and falling back into idolatry. And the next thing you know, there's nothing but darkness. So I want to encourage you. That's what Jesus is saying. You know, he's been, here's my, this is the way to the kingdom. But the way is narrow. The way is difficult. It's an ongoing battle in this brief, look, human existence, uh, the battle that we're in right now is a nanosecond. Here today, and then for all of eternity, it's gone. We bear the fruits in eternity of the seeds that we sow in this brief life here and now. So what I want to encourage you is don't give up. Don't curl up into a ball. Don't let the enemy pound you and drive you down because he, he never stops. Just because you quit, he didn't quit. In fact, the moment you stop, that's when he goes, yeah, now we got him. And he piles on and he piles on and you withdraw and you shrink and you get smaller and you get fearful and more anxious. Man, you say, wow, man, that's kind of that's where I'm at or where I've been. What do, you, what do I do? Stand up and say, all right, doggone it. You've had your way, but I'm fighting again and I'm not taking it, not one more day, not one more minute, not one more moment of my life, I'm standing up. God has said, how do you say, well, how do you do that? You take what God has said as true and you reject the lies, the feelings, the intimidation, such as God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I'm claiming that. That's my identity in Christ. I stand in it. I choose it. I'm going to walk in it. And, I, and the battle's back on. And I'm not giving you nothing. You have robbed me long enough. I'm going to walk in the grace of God. Can I hear an amen and hallelujah on that? Very important. Now, let me say this to you. The moment you, because this is the will of your father, your daddy in heaven is saying, hey, quit being a baby and grow up. Okay, uh, that's what a dad would say to a little, look, there's a point when you're a little kid and you keep acting like a little kid, but now you're 15, 16, it doesn't look so good on you anymore. You're not a baby anymore. Take some responsibility and start making some healthy choices. I'll help you, I'll counsel you, I'll bless you, but you gotta, you gotta make that choice. And let me just say this, once you stand up and once you say, I'm not going to give in, I'm not going to let you pummel me, I'm not going to curl up in a ball and go, wah, anymore, I'm going to stand in my identity in Christ. It's not easy. You start exercising your muscles of faith. But guess what? You, You gain a victory. You gain one victory inside and you go, wow, I just, I just done been delivered. That, that feels good. And the Lord says, oh man, that ain't nothing. I got more for you. And you step into a new place of faith. From one realm of faith, you grow a little bit and you take another step and go, wow, this is nice. God goes, oh man, that ain't nothing. Take another step. Boom, you rise up to another level. You grow from faith to faith. You start growing up. You start, you know, not giving in to the fear, the intimidation. In fact, guess what? When you begin winning the internal battle and warfare, taking strides through the spirit, 
then you can begin fighting with the angels and the kingdom and the Lord in the external battle that is happening all around the world. And then the enemy goes, dang, what are we going to do now? He knows who he is. She knows who she is. They're taking ground. And, they, and you can put the enemy to flight. How many of you would love to make the devil afraid of you and the people of God who are standing up for such a time as this? Fear, now you, you throw the fear back and the strength and enter into the battle. If we stand and begin gaining this internal conflict and grow from glory to glory, it will also manifest itself outwardly. Okay, let's go to the next one. Because Jesus now starts, after he gives us that exhortation and teaching in the narrow gate, he now gives us a warning. This is a practical warning that's applicable to all believers and disciples, and that's related to false prophets, because they're going to sneak up now. So he says in verse 15, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. So they're going to, they don't come like a wolf going, And you go, that's a wolf, run. No, they come in sheep's clothing. They look like a Christian. They sound like they're spiritual, but they're a wolf. But inwardly, they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. I mean, every farmer knows that. If it's a good tree the fruit will be good. If it's a bad tree, nothing but bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. As a farmer, that makes perfect sense. Why do I want to put more time, energy, water, fertilizer, and money into a tree that's nothing bearing bad fruit? pull it up, cut it down, throw it into the fire so I can replace it with a good tree that bears good fruit. That's what Jesus said, pull out the false prophets, false ways, false spiritual things, let it be burned. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. False prophets have unfortunately always followed the people of God from the children of Israel on into the book of Acts and the New Testament Whenever God's truth begins taking root and begins to bear fruit in a church or within a home or within a community, the enemies of truth will always try to come in with confusion or deception or both. Jesus said, watch out because they are wolves in sheep's clothing. Now, I actually got a rare photograph of a wolf in sheep's clothing. I want you to take a look at this. You may not have seen that at the San Diego Zoo, but I'm telling you, you got to watch out. He looks like a sheep, but, you know, you, you got to be able to, you know, you walk up to him and you go, because look, false prophets don't walk around with a sign around their neck saying, watch out, I'm a false prophet. They come looking like sheep, but you look at them and you go, there's something about your face that doesn't look right. <laughs> and when you smile, there's fangs. So try to avoid that at all possible cost. They use trickery, they use deception. Now, let me, let me warn you this about false prophets. And you know, there's always somebody that's gonna say, hey, have you tried this? Have you heard of this guy or that way or that path? And teachers and spirituality and all the rest of it. And people are always looking for shortcuts or a better way. How do we be prepared for such trickery and deception? Know this, 
They begin with a lot of truth. In fact, most good false prophets use a majority of truth. And they'll say, well, so you're a spiritual person, right? Yeah. You believe in God, right? Yeah. You want to be closer to God and experience, da, 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 da. yeah. And, and, they're talk, and they're saying things that you know and that you like and you agree with, and you're like a bobblehead, just yeah, 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 yeah. And, before, and so they're building relationship and trust, yeah, 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 yeah. And then they throw in, so, so what about this? Have you ever heard of this? Or God? No, and it's wrong. Look, number one, if anything that they're trying to tell you doesn't line up with the whole Word of God, the whole counsel of God from Genesis to the book of Revelation, it's out. <laughs> Do not buy into it. Do not listen to it. Or some trick question that you don't understand, some obscure passage. By the way, there are difficult passages in the Bible. But I want, I want to encourage you this. You don't start with somebody's obscure question of misunderstanding because a lot of it they don't understand because they don't know the Hebrew, they don't know the Jewish culture, they don't know language, they don't understand how it was to be interpreted at that time or whatever. You start with Jesus, okay? You start with Jesus. And starting with say, anything from the Old Testament, uh, any question anybody has, I go like this. Jesus accepted the entire Old Testament as the word of his Father in heaven, period. If he had any problems, okay, now we'll, we'll talk about any problems Jesus had with anything in the Old Testament. What? Okay, I'm in. But he did, so find where Jesus said, no, that's not right. He accepted what God had said, and he is the one that revealed the glory of the Father. So you, you have to know the word of God, and you have to be trained in the word of God. But there's another thing. Jesus says here, you'll know them by their fruit. So I put a little paragraph here. It's, I don't have the, a slide for it, but it's where it says, make a judgment. I want to give you some things to look for, to be aware of. How do you judge? And by the way, here again, you have to use discernment. You have to make a judgment about some new teaching, new guru, new path, whatever spirituality that it is. Number one, is there the fruit? Because Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruit. Is there the fruit of love? The love of God, is there the fruit of joy? <laughs> Not only in that person, but the people supposedly following them. And is there peace? Are these the fruits that come? And I will say this, in, within cults, idols, strange gurus, and weirdness, eventually those start being ripped off and lost or twisted in a variety of ways. So is there love, joy, or peace, or is there a spirit of fear? Oh, I know a secret you don't know. I know something you don't know about the Bible, and when I tell you, you're never going to believe again. Oh, fear, what do you know? There is no secret. There's nothing new under the sun, as the Bible says. Number two, do they use control? The, the, the issues, there's ways of controlling, and look, that's not what God is about. That's not what fellowship is about. That's not what the church is for, is to control people's lives. Do they use oppression? That's where, you, you, the, you know, people that get into it, before you know it, they're just kind of down. Uh, they're oppressed. There's a spirit. Uh, you know, the Bible talks about doctrines of demons. Well, they bring a darkness, a fuzziness, a confusion, an oppression. Do they use intimidation? We're going to intimidate you. We're going to find out, you know, you're secrets, we'll tell everybody else, or whatever. That's, that's a form of control and intimidation. Isolation, get you away from your family, away from everybody else. No, the Bible says 
Love your family. Bless, honor your father and mother. Uh, love one another, even your family in Christ as brothers and sisters. Treat them, honor them, respect them, love them, bless them, fellowship in Christ. But no, cult is isolation. Condemnation. Romans 8 verse 1. Here you go with the word of God like a sword. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Anything, anyone, any teaching, any doctrine, any cult, anything, any person that tries to bring you into condemnation to change you, you go, you ain't from God. I'm not taking one speck of your condemnation and your deal. I'm done with you. Don't take condemnation. Legalism. Oh, you got to do it. Not only do it, you got to do it this way. It's the only way, you know. There's tremendous, look, there are certain things. Yes, there's worship. uh, There's going through the word of God. There's communion. There's baptism. Those things we all hold. But even the way that those things can be expressed, there can be some variety in the body of Christ. Argumentative. I don't mean talking about differences of opinion about, because, you know, from God and Christ and the gospel and certain basic elements that we hold true, minor doctrines, we can have a little bit different opinion on those and and talk scripturally. I'm talking about people that just are arguing that you and your way of life and everything about you is wrong and they badger you continuously. That's not a healthy sign. And finally, one of the biggest signs that it's a false prophet Once they get you in, they make it almost impossible to leave. There's no exit process without guilt, condemnation, manipulation, threats, all the rest of it. Let me me show you, according to the Bible, this is how easy it is uh, for eternal life. There's Jesus. What did Jesus say? Two words, follow me. Wow, there's Jesus. I start following him. I follow him, believe in him, trust in him. That's salvation. But guess what? At any time that you say, I'm not going to follow him anymore, and you turn your back and you walk away, that's how easy it is to walk away. He gives us that capacity of free will. It's a relationship. He wants you, but even the father with the prodigal son, let the prodigal run away and waste his life on his youth and wine, women, and song. And then when he had spent himself, he made the choice, I'm going home because my dad treats his servants better than the way I'm living. He honored his father and he went home of his own free will. No coercion. That's a picture of God the Father. Those who follow me are those who want to. You don't? I'm not going to force you. I'm not going to make you because a relationship takes two, not just one, manipulating, coercing, condemning, controlling, and the other one's like, oh, I got to go along. That's not love. That's not a relationship. And so these are the, Jesus said, by their fruits, you will know them. So judge the fruits. All right, let's go to the next life lesson, verses 21 through 23. The ultimate test for entering the kingdom of heaven is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus says in verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, and I believe he's talking about judgment day, which, look, every human being, whether they know it or not, it's coming. You're going to stand before the creator, your creator. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? We cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. 
Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So something's not right in their life. Basically, the most important thing is not how many good deeds you do, which so many people think that's how you get to heaven. Oh, balance my good deeds with my bad deeds. No, it's not about deeds and counting up all of that. It's not about what you do that gets you into heaven. It's who you know. Is that not true down here as well? Who you know can make all the difference. You know the right person in the right way at the right time. Boom, all the doors fly open. Guess what? That's what it's about in heaven. It's not about what you do. It's about what Jesus already did, and we believe and trust in him. And by knowing the Son, the Father is saying, come into the reward prepared for you. It's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? So uh, let's go to the last life lesson, and we'll close with this. Jesus says in verse 24, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine, these teachings, and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. The rock is Christ. The rock we build our lives on is not merely doctrines and teachings. It is literally the life, yes, the teachings, but it's the person of the Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 26, but everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods then came. The winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. Could have been the same house, same material, same quality, but the difference when the storm came was the foundation. One was sand, one was rock. Great was its fall. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority not as the scribes. Other rabbis would quote somebody, you know, older, smarter, before them. Rabbi so-and-so says this. Now I add this to it. Jesus was unique, different. He didn't quote anybody, (laughs) nobody. But he said, I say unto you. He was speaking with power and authority as the Son of God. So from picturing two ways, And, you know, you can go this way or that way, the narrow way, the broad way. Then two trees, good fruit, bad fruit. You shall know them by their uh, fruit. Now he pictures two builders. And he gives us a contrast. I'm going to show you just a couple of quick pictures here. This is a great picture of building your house on sand. By the way, this is available. Anybody interested? I can get you a tremendous deal. In fact, you can't see on that, I was laughing when I first saw this, but the little blue sign in the top left of the house says, for rent. Anybody interested? (laughs) I don't want to buy it, let alone rent it. But, so that's that house. You know, what's the future on that one? I don't know, not so good. Then look at this house. How did they do that? How did they build that? Uh, But I think it's legit and real. There's a house. I think it's going to be okay because it's built on the rock. And the Lord says, build your life, build your future, build your eternal uh, future on me. Solid rock, and it will be sustained forever and ever and ever. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. 
If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.